Welcome again to another episode of The Last Dance After Party, After Hours, presented to you by your neighbors and friends at Craft Beer Cellar, 2801 Magazine Street. They are now offering curbside pickup or delivery. They come straight to your house, and they have some of the Say they have some, a really, really good beer selection. You order online by clicking the Shop Now button, and you pick up, and you call uh, 504-962-7870. You give your name on the order. They'll place the order on the table outside pickup, and so in addition to that, if you are Please have your ID ready, and that number is 504-962-7870, and you can also check them out at craftbeernola.com, uh, and they have their uh, their entire beer selection, wine selection, as well as whiskey and other spirits. That being said, I am Ryan Hancock, and I am joined by my friend um, uh, Rob Brown. And he, you can follow him on Twitter at the Rob Brown Show. We are in the second installment of the Last Dance, uh, of the Last Dance series. Rob, welcome. How you doing? How good you? Talk- uh, I'm how good, you man. Making out in South Carolina. Good, 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 good. I'm hoping maybe so I can get some, uh, get some of that beer delivered up to Greenville, South Carolina. But in the meantime, man, as far as lockdown goes, I'm glad we got the Last Dance to entertain us a little bit. Yes, I mean we're we're at the home stretch. We're almost done with the. We're almost we're almost finished with the lockdown. That's the thing. We're almost. It, it, it seems that way. It it doesn't seem like we're close to the end of the lock, but we're getting there, slowly but surely. Um, I hold out. I I, I speak in positive. You know, I speak positively, saying like we're gonna be this lockdown is gonna be over pretty soon, and I and I can't wait for it to be. I think it'll be just a calming of. It'll be just a relief. I think for everybody, because everybody's getting cabin fever. Like I actually had posted on Twitter, on Facebook, what restaurants you're looking forward to eating at once they lift the lockdown and people started responding. And you have to understand something, Rob. I don't, whenever I normally just order takeout or I order stuff through Postmates or DoorDash, cause I hate being, I, I'm really like, the only place I'll sit down and have a meal at is probably like at a bar. And bar food is not that good. Except Tracy's. Tracy's Tracy's really good because I love I eat plain <laughs> cheeseburgers. I don't like I don't like veg I don't like veggies touching my cheeseburgers. I'm very except if it's a fast food restaurant. Fast food that's different, but other places no. They can't I don't I don't like vegetables touching my cheeseburgers if it's if it's not plain i'm not gonna eat it now at igor's they have they i have the option of eating the burgers with with the cheese but they don't put the let the, the veggies on on the burger they have it separate from it so i can live with that i'm just i just have an aversion to veggies on cheeseburgers it's just a very big pet peeve and i just don't like it i just don't like that i just don't like vegetables touching cheese at all but we're going to jump right into we we um, all have we all have our taste you got yours i'm not mad at you about it at this point uh i'd be happy just to get a cheeseburger in public somewhere you know what i mean like i just want to sit on a sidewalk 
with a big cold beer and a cheeseburger, veggies or not, and just enjoy it for a minute. That's all I'm looking forward to at this point. Right. You know, like I go to Chipotle all the time and I go to Chipotle quite often because uh, it's near it's right next door to craft beer cellar. And I just go in there and I just the reason why I go there to order is because one, I can order inside and I actually ha- get a chance to see, oh, this is how it used to feel like you could stand inside. <laughs> you can't eat it. You can you can stand inside and order food and in. In addition, if you want to wait on your food, you can sit down. That's what people used to do. And it's just like with that, that like every time I see uh, Tracy's clothes and Igor's clothes, I just literally just want to just I, like I told someone I fucking hate that guy. And you know which guy I'm talking about. I fucking hate him. Like I literally <laughs> hate him. <laughs> No, it, it, it's, it's like, dude, it's like, it's like, you just, dude, you, this is, this is personal. Like, this is personal. Like, you fucked with my friends. Even though you're not in New Orleans, you fucked with my friends. That's what you just did. And, right, and right, I right. prayed, and I, and I fucking, and I fucking, I fucking, Rob, I fucking hate that guy. Like, I fucking hate him. Like, I literally, like, I never hated people that much. I just fucking, like, that guy there, like, I told someone, I told my landlord the other day, I said, I literally want to go to New, up to D.C. and just super kick his ass right out of the damn, <laughs> right out of there. And because, and, 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 and the reason why it's personal, the reason why it's personal is because I've lost nine relatives in four months. I've lost four relatives in the last 30 days. Two of my relatives died within 24 hours of each other, Rob. And they can't they couldn't even have a fucking funeral. Right? They couldn't have a fucking funeral. All they had was a visitation and graveside services. No repass, nothing. Yeah, this is a dude, it's just it's a weird time, man. Like it's it's uh it's a weird time to be going through what we're going through. I, you know, I feel bad for everybody that had weddings scheduled. I feel bad for people like you, and I'm sorry to hear about your relatives. Like I'm, I'm, I feel bad for people like you because you know you want to you want to be able to mourn like normal. You want to be able to grieve like normal, and it's just not a normal time. And uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I was talking with somebody the other day about uh, about relatives and about the situation we're in with, you know, like I, I've got I've got friends and family right now. Like people are going through nasty. Uh, relationship situations because they've never been forced to to live the way that we're living right now so i'm i'm uh i'm sorry to hear about you what you're going through dude i really am you know it's i I wish there was more that uh that we could all do for each other but uh, it's just it's a weird time it's just like it's like and then and 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 what's the worst thing is i have a mom that works in a hospital so imagine and me and my mom don't speak. My mom, like, you want to talk about Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> me and my mom don't speak. My mom's been pissed at me ever since I moved to New Orleans. Right. Since, and that's been five ever since I moved here to New Orleans. And she won't even speak to me. She won't. I sent right. her a Mother's Day card. I sent her a, I sent her I sent her a, and it, it's it's one thing. It's it's the thing. I think that's the reason why it's like I, 
latch on to people so bad much because it's like I don't want to feel abandoned. I don't want to be abandoned. Like when this lockdown happened, I felt like like I literally was scared. Like I, I think the one thing that helps me with, with, with this is that there's social media and I can still see my friends. Um, I can still do Zoom. I can still do Facebook Live and all those things. So I don't feel abandoned. But for the most part, when this happened, it was like when they closed Eagles down, even though I go in there to put beer, like those are my friends. And like you're taking away my friends. It's like they abandoned. Like this is abandonment because like this is the first time in my life I actually learned what a family look like and how a family works. Like living in New Orleans has taught me that because growing up and being in living in Memphis, I never knew what. I didn't understand the concept of family. I didn't. But again, we're, that's not why we're talking. We're going, going to jump right into the second installment of The Last Dance. And this time it focused a lot on Dennis Rodman. Rob, what were your thoughts? Well, you know, what I like, the, to, to be honest with you, Dennis Rodman's always been kind of a uh, an interesting subject for me, um, mainly because Robin's a thing, a guy that he kind of got this reputation during the heyday and, and uh, throughout the Bulls dynasty of being, you know, the weird guy and the guy who was just out there and nobody could understand him. And I think tonight, you know, despite those of us who have always been intrigued by Robin and really studied him and looked at him from the inside, his, his media interviews outside of games and whatever, tonight was the first time that I think the nation as a whole – really got an introspective into, like, who Dennis Rodman was as a person and the fact that he wasn't just some, you know, he wasn't just some crazy dude who likes crazy haircuts. Like, the guy had his mentality that was developed from who he was and where he come from and, and all of the things that happened to him throughout his life. And so to, to, to have everybody as a whole kind of get the start to get a real understanding of who Dennis Rodman was as a person – not just the guy on the basketball court with the funny haircut and, you know, the guy who wore wedding dresses with Carmen Electra off the court, to, for, for, for the nation to really get a hold uh, as to who Dennis Rodman really was, I thought was really kind of, a, uh, kind of an interesting concept. And then when you paired that with, we really got our first look at what it took for the, for the 90s Bulls to finally overcome the dynasty that was the bad boys, Dennis Rodman included. Like, I, I, you know, as a kid, I enjoyed the bad boys, but to see what Michael Jordan and company had to overcome to finally move past Detroit, was, it was just really interesting to me. The one thing that I remember, I, I don't know if you ever watched the bad boys, um, the Bad Boys um, documentary. And I think the two, I think with Dennis Robin, I think when Chuck Daly, uh, Chuck Daly um, was, um, was, um, was uh, the coach of the Pistons, like Chuck Daly really, he Dennis Robin looked to him as a father. And I think when Dennis, when Chuck Daly left, that was kind of like an abandonment, like he, it was like an abandonment thing with him. 
uh, and I think he felt abandoned. And I think that's when you saw him uh, change. You know, that uh, when you saw him uh, change from what we saw in Detroit to what we saw with the Spurs and the Pistons. Yeah, you know, no, I think you're, I think you're spot on. And what really intrigued me, like you, you mentioned that, and then I would go on further, and you talk about Chuck Daly, and you talk about like what Mike Jordan. One of the interesting things that I, that kind of was for me personally was, uh, you know, after episodes one and two a week ago, I talked on my radio show and and on Twitter about how you know I I kind of knew Michael Jordan was kind of a jerk to his friends and family when he was popular, but in this episode, you kind of got a a changed introspective. You got a lot of Bulls players who were talking about the fact that, you know, Mike Jordan, he, he made them better. And so when you talk about a guy like Dennis Rodman and the fact that when he was in Detroit, he kind of had that leadership and he kind of had that, that fatherhood that he didn't have. And so it made him who he was. Uh, then you look at what he was when he got to Chicago and they talked about, for instance, one, one bit that kind of jumped out to me was when they talked about Rodman's, uh, his request for that vacation to Vegas, and they were showing him partying up in Vegas during the season, and he's out there dancing with hookers and strippers on the, on the dance floor. And then, uh, you know, they, they talked, Carmen Electra came on, who obviously had a big role in who Dennis Rodman was as a, as a media sensation during the time. And, you know, she said, look, there was a day after his vacation was over that Michael Jordan knocked on the door, and Jordan was there, and Jordan said, hey, Rodman, it's time to go back to work, and hey, hey, Rodman, it's time to get back. And they went to Dennis Rodman, and Rodman was like, yeah, you know, at that point I knew I needed to go back to work and whatever. And then Jordan told the story about how when Rodman showed back up to work, like he was in shape and he was outrunning all the rest of the Bulls and they were doing all these drills and Rodman was kind of leading the drills or whatever. And you kind of got this really interesting perspective about Dennis Rodman that we all know him as the Rodman bad boy. And we all knew him as the guy that was kind of the, the outcast or whatever. And here's Michael Jordan, the guy who was defined as, you know, the, the guy who was kind of a jerk and kind of the bad guy of this whole thing. And he's going, look, Rodman showed up, and Rodman was in charge. Rodman was the guy who was in shape. Rodman was the guy who was, you know, ready to go. And, and Rodman was the guy who was, who was leading this team, et cetera. It was just really kind of, an interesting, uh, kind of an interesting introspective compared to who we know Dennis Rodman to be in the media circus throughout the years. Uh, for, for Michael Jordan, this guy who a week before had kind of started to show the nation that uh, the, the, the bad guy, so to speak, that he was in charge, Rodman was the guy that Jordan was looking at and going, look, this guy has showed up, he's in shape, he's ready to play, et cetera. So when you kind of got that, uh, that, that, that dichotomy of the Rodman we know versus the Rodman that even Michael Jordan was saying, look, this guy was a staple of this team, uh, I thought that that was easily the most interesting part of tonight's episodes. You know, you're right. I mean, I think what we see, what we see a lot, um, what we see a lot um, as kids is we see just what the media shows us. And we never see and we never understand the the nuts and bolts of a person like you never understand um you you never understand as a kid like we didn't understand like like last week 
I was talking to uh, Brandon Styles and uh, James Davis who came on the first um, uh, on the first um, segment, the first episode of the Last Dance After Party. We didn't know how the we didn't know anything about what was going on with the uh, with the management of the Bulls and Michael Jordan. But I had talked about it earlier, like today on a Facebook Live thing. I said, you know, I think the way that the Bulls treated Michael Jordan, the management treated Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and Phil Jackson, I think that right there hurt them in the in the in the terms of getting some uh, getting free agents to come play in Chicago because those people that they wanted they grew up watching those teams and they saw how they got treated uh they saw how they got treated and in addition to that those players those players they they know their stories they know their stories and that yeah, no, might right. hurt them in the in terms of in terms of getting free agents. People, no, I think, people I don't think like to hear on. that. I think you're spot but, on. I think you're spot on. And you know like what's, what's funny that, was, that's was the, that's uh, the honest to God's truth. No, it really is. Like I, I think and, and you go back and you know one of the it was really funny watching last weekend because they were talking about uh Scotty Pippen and how much he wasn't getting paid even though he led the Bulls in a ton of stats and you know, he was kind of a, a big chunk of, of who the Bulls were and the fact that he was so criminally underpaid. And, I mean, if you're if you're a guy on the outside looking in at the Bulls and if you're a guy on the outside looking in at, you know, who the Chicago Bulls were and what the Chicago Bulls were, were trying to be, you know, I'm looking at that and going, look, man, like it's the Chicago Michael Jordans and everybody else is on the outside looking in at that point. And it was pretty evident to see, like, they, they viewed everybody who wasn't Michael Jordan as just a role player uh, who played behind 23. And, and, I mean, granted, like, now in retrospect, you can kind of see why that was. Like, MJ was the best to ever play the game, arguably behind, you know, or, or, or with alongside at the best, alongside LeBron or Kobe. But, I mean, MJ was the best that there was. And so everybody looked at uh, – at the way they treated Scottie Pippen, and and now we look after this episode the way they treated uh, the way they treated a lot of these other guys, Steve Kerr, et cetera, and you can kind of get that impression. So I, I don't think that there anybody who thought that was wrong. I don't think anybody that viewed the Bulls as Michael Jordan's team were incorrect. But I mean, if you look at the NBA and the way the NBA plays out right now, whether you're looking at the the Warriors with Steve Kerr, or if you're looking at LeBron and the Lakers, or you know, any of the other, you know, Kawhi and the Clippers, whoever, and you look at the way the NBA's played to be, like, that's, the, that's almost kind of the way it is when you get one of these, one of these uh, once-in-a-generation or once-in-a-lifetime players like Michael Jordan or like LeBron or like Kobe, you, you kind of have to hand them the keys to the franchise. You kind of have to give them uh, the, 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 the overall control of the franchise and let them – let them basically call their shots. Let them dictate what they want to happen. And, and I think that that really started with Mike. I mean, you look at the, the bad boys that got such a big rap tonight, and you had Isaiah Thomas and Bill Beer and all these other cats, and, 
but at the same time, like it was none of their, it was none of they did the team didn't belong to them. Detroit didn't belong to them. But with the Bulls, the team belonged to Michael Jordan, and he kind of started that trend. So you're not wrong when you look at him that way. I mean, what what Mike did and and what the Bulls were, Jerry Krause, regardless, who has kind of become the you know, Jerry Krause is joining Carol Baskin as the, the biggest bad guy of 2020's quarantine life in terms of our, our fascination with documentaries as a country. Regardless of what Jerry Krause thought, like at the end of the day, it was Michael Jordan's team and whatever Mike said went uh, up until Jerry Krause decided that he wanted Phil Jackson gone. But the way that he was in control of that team and the way that that team was built around him and the way that guys like Dennis Rodman and, and Scotty Pippen kind of became role players, even though they were NBA greats, uh, it's, it's still a little surprising, to be honest. And you're, you're absolutely right. I think the one thing I look at, like I say, I look at, I look at, I look at it like I, as I say. I look at it this way. I look at it in terms of with with the uh, with with those teams. It's like Scottie Pippen's in the Hall of Fame. Dennis Rodman is in the Hall of Fame. So I like how people assume. Well, Michael Jordan play, played against Michael Jordan played against some a lot of those guys that he played against, and a lot of them guys that he played with ended up going to the Hall of Fame. And the, the thing is with with Rodman, and I and I look at it with Rodman when he went to the Spurs, when he got traded from the Pistons to the Spurs, San Antonio was like the worst spot because the people in San Antonio are not going to be like forgiving as they would have been in Chicago or in Detroit. And I think that's why he didn't last long in, in, in San Antonio. Because I think the people there in San Antonio were completely, um, they're very conservative. I wouldn't say, I don't know, I'm, I'm not saying politically so uh, conservative, but socially conservative, I think they are. And I think that's why he didn't last um, long in San Antonio. No, I think you're spot on. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think Robin, Robin, look, you know, Robin's a guy Phil, uh, with, with 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 Phil. With when you look at like how Phil Jackson, and how you look at how Phil Jackson, and how Chuck Daly handled Dennis Rodman, it was night and day from what how Bob how Bob Ryan, I mean not Bob Ryan but. Bob Hill handled Dennis Rodman. It was complete. It was night and day. Well, you look because Bob Hill did not know how to deal with Bob Hill did not know how to deal with Dennis Rodman. No, I agree. But here's the thing: like most of us wouldn't, right? Like, and I think that that that's kind of testament to Phil Jackson and the greatness that Phil Jackson was as as not just a coach, but as kind of a player psychologist. I mean, that that guy was absolutely key in fitting Dennis Rodman in, and I think that, that kind of spoke volumes to uh, Phil Jackson's coaching style, right? Because, like, I, I could tell you straight up, like, in today's league, there's probably three or four coaches that could take Dennis Rodman, who is a guy that, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. He's 
arguably the greatest rebounder in the history of the NBA. I mean, he's an all-time great. And there's, there's maybe two or three coaches today that would know how to get the best out uh, of Dennis Rodman. And I think that, that Phil Jackson did that. Phil Jackson knew how to take a guy like Dennis Rodman, talk to him, speak to him like, a, like an adult, like a human being on his level and get the best out of the guy. And, I mean, look, regardless of whether Michael Jordan was there or not, I mean, Mike obviously was able to kind of push Rodman in ways that nobody else was able to push him. But Phil Jackson, we, we talked about last week after episodes one and two about how he was such a player psychologist. Uh, Phil Jackson was able to get things out of Dennis Rodman that, that I don't think many other guys would have been able to get out of him. So, you know, when you look at uh, when you look at Dennis Rodman and who he became as a Chicago boy, I mean, he was a great. He was great with the with the with the Pistons, and he and he and he played very well with the Spurs. But he came into his own with the Bulls, and that was 100% because Phil Jackson knew how to talk to Dennis Rodman on a level that Dennis Rodman needed to be communicated with, and was able to get the most out of him. So, you know, that's that's kind of another. Uh, another thing that came out of tonight's episode to me was, even though it wasn't addressed the way it was in episodes one and two, tonight was a really good illustration of just how impressive uh, Phil Jackson was as a coach, as a philosopher, as a psychologist, uh, and as a communicator, that he was able to take a guy like Dennis Rodman, who, who I don't think would fit in many places at all, and was able to kind of shoehorn him into – a really, really impressive Bulls team uh, that that I think most of us would not have had the ability to communicate with Dennis Rodman to get him to be the guy that he turned out to be with the Bulls. So, you know, as much as we talked about Phil Jackson last week because of they, the, the, the spotlight they shined on him as a player psychologist, this week to me, I took as much out of this week as I did anything else from episodes one and two about his ability to take a guy – who was kind of an outcast, who didn't really, you know, belong anywhere, who was kind of the, the guy who was a, um, who was kind of a miscreant everywhere else he's ever been. And to basically say, look, man, here's your role on this team to talk to the team leaders and go, Hey, here's how we need to treat Dennis Rodman to make him feel, uh, feel comfortable here and turn the guy into the hall of famer that, that you and I as kids in the nineties, you know, we, we, we always kind of looked at Dennis Rodman as the crazy guy with the weird hair that wore the wedding dress on TV that day. But Phil Jackson was the guy mm-hmm. who made sure that he was more than that. And that's the thing that – and that's what he did. And, and, and as I say, you know, Phil Jackson doesn't – I mean, he gets a lot of, a, a lot of like, um, credit, but – Phil Jackson and what he's done, like him as a coach, it, it's it's um it, it, like his ability to get the most out of players. It it's something that is very you know that's something that is I, I wouldn't say it's understated, but you look at how he got Shaq and Kobe to play together. He was the perfect coach for that the, the those Laker teams because them guys tuned out Dale Howard. I remember when Kobe and them would go to the they'll get to the Western Conference Finals and they'll lose to the Jazz or they'll lose to the Spurs. And it was just that Dale Harris was like the the 
grown coach for that team. And you look at Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson turned it, turned it around, won five more championships. You know, that's the thing that is, you know, that is understated in all of this, that he is, you know, he understands that coaching is not just about X's and O's. It's about getting the most out of players and understanding that players, everyone is not wired different. It's not wired the same. Like everyone is not wired like Michael Jordan. Everyone is not wired like Steve Kerr, Scottie Pippen. Bill Winnington and all those other guys. But getting back to the Carmen Electra thing, I am so glad that Carmen Electra is getting the flowers that she deserves, Rob. Aren't you? You know, it was really interesting because when she showed up on the screen tonight, I was sitting on the couch and I was like, oh, Lord, they got Carmen Electra in here. Let's see how this goes, right? Like I was kind of intrigued to see how they were going to treat Carmen Electra, you know, are they just going to treat her as, uh, you know, the, the weird chick who brought the weirdness out of Dennis Rodman or whatever? And they, I mean, look, they just let her be who she was in Dennis Rodman's life. I mean, you know, she, she talked about Rodman not from the perspective of, oh, I led Rodman by the nose ring down this weird life, but she presented it from the standpoint of, look, this is who Dennis Rodman was. And this is who Dennis Rodman was in my life. And this is who we were when we were together. And, you know, I kind of found it interesting. She talked about they, – they showed Jordan when Jordan was like, you know, after that 48 hours was up, I went and I, I got Dennis Rodman and I knocked on his hotel room. And, you know, Rodman said, I'm not going to say who he was, who he was doing and what he who he was with, whatever. And then he went to a lecture and the lecture was like, yeah, I was in his room. I was in his bed. And I, I was like, oh, my God, Michael Jordan's at the door. And I hid behind the couch and whatever. And, you know, look, I don't I, – look, it, it's, it's very easy for us on the outside to look at that situation and look at Carmen Electra and go, oh, Carmen Electra was a bad influence on Dennis Rodman. I, I, I think that's really easy to do. But what that does is it, it, it shifts the mm-hmm. blame away from Dennis Rodman as a player, and it shifts the blame away from Dennis Rodman and his responsibility as a member of the Chicago Bulls to the organization, to the franchise. And so I thought they presented it, honestly, in a very fair light. I thought they presented it where you can kind of – you can cast the judgment on whoever you want to cast it on, whether it's Rodman or Electra or anybody else. But, look, I think the, the cool thing about what they did with Rodman tonight when they hit that part of the story – was they went, look, here's what Dennis Rodman did. Here's what Dennis Rodman says was his, his kind of opinion on the whole thing, and we will let you decide who was right and who was wrong. And at the end of the day, like, I don't see a right and a wrong. As much as I, you know, I, I put Jordan on blast for being kind of a jackass last week and, and presenting a side of himself that I was in a fan. Well, I'll be working my ass off. I just don't get paid. You know, yeah, exactly. So that was, you yeah, know, you know, you, you know, yeah. It was weird. It was weird. Like I was like, you know, because and the, the fact is, the man, she just turned forty-eight. And the one thing is, um, what was that? Uh, it, it's weird that like during the nineteen nineties, she was a babe, and it's like it's weird that a lot of the celebrities we have crushed we had crushes on are now approaching 50 
<laughs> so it's sort of like how the parents, it's sort of like our parents, like our parents, you know, in a different age, you know, during the 19, you know, 20 years ago, they were like viewing, you know, you had like their crushes, like their crushes were starting to turn 50 and 60 years old. Our crushes are starting to now turn 50 and 60 years. I mean, some of them turning 40. I mean, Jennifer Love Hewitt just turned 41. Britney Spears is going to be 40 soon. Christina Aguilera is going to be 40. Um, Tony Braxton just turned 50 last year. Uh, of course, CeCe Penson just turned 50 last year. And, 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 you know, and I think the thing is, me personally, Rob, I don't think I ever blame. I wouldn't blame uh, people like, I wouldn't blame Carmen Electra for, um, you know, for 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 influencing Dennis Rodman, I think Dennis Rodman made that decision on his own, because I think right after Chuck Daly left to go to New Jersey, you know, Dennis, you know, you know, I think when 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 Chuck Daly left to go to New Jersey, I think. Dennis Rodman lost his compass, and I think that's when he decided to lash out and he decided to act out. And I think that's what that's what changed him. Um, that's what changed him and everything. I don't think it was more so of Carmen, because remember he dated Madonna. That's one other thing. He almost he he dated he fucking dated Madonna as well back then. So it's it's very easy to blame it's very easy to blame for people on like you say on the outside it's very easy to blame Carmen Electra and it's very easy to blame this person that person or whatever but at the same time at the same time I don't think it's I, I, I think Dennis Robin was trying to find himself because it's like the whole abandonment thing you know something I had told you talked to you about you know, you he felt abandoned. Like his mom abandoned him. You know, his mom abandoned him. The person that he thought that was like a father figure to him went to New Jersey. So he needed to find something to find himself in. And I think that's why he had the crazy colors and shit. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Look, he he was he was a guy who did not have an identity before, and they talked about it tonight, the Madonna relationship, where Madonna was like, look, man, like, you need to be yourself. And, and I think all of us, like, I don't know about you, but I can tell you, like, in my life, I've had that moment, right, that moment where I kind of got to the point where I was in, and honestly, it took me moving here to South Carolina. I spent 30 years living in Florida where I had – these expectations upon me and I had these, you know, everybody told me who I was supposed to be. And I had this role in my life that I was supposed to play. And then I got to the point one day where I was just kind of over it. And I had this moment where, you know, somebody kind of showed me this isn't, you don't, you don't have to be who these other people want you to be. You can be whoever the heck you want to be and you can live the life that you want to live. And so I, I kind of had that realization, and it led me to, to to being where I'm at now, and I'm very happy that that happened. Well, Rodman had that with Madonna, and Rodman got to the point where he just recognized that he needed to, to be who he needed to be, and he needed to do what he needed to do to be himself. And fortunately for him, 
it led to him being a Hall of Fame NBA player. It led to him being the greatest rebounder of our time. It led him, it led him to be this celebrity. You know, one of the things I was really interested that they didn't point out, and I'm sure they'll get to it down the road, was, was, was Dennis Rodman's involvement in professional wrestling. Like, that was where Dennis Rodman made the biggest impact in my life because I was a big wrestling fan uh, in, the, in the late 90s. And after the Bulls broke up and Rodman became a, uh, a member of the NWO and a big-time WWF guy at the time, you know, his, the, the career path and the direction that he decided to go really kind of started to resonate in my life as Dennis Rodman's not just a basketball player. And this is one of the things that as a, uh, as a kid, when you start to see your favorite players for more than just the guy that you watch play for 40 minutes a night, but you start to see them as, as human beings, you know, I started to see Dennis Rodman as a human being, and it's really funny because it, it, there's this mix, this juxtaposition of, of Michael Jordan uh, when I was a kid versus now and Rodman when I was a kid versus now. When I was a kid, Dennis Rodman was kind of the antihero. Dennis Rodman was kind of the guy that, no, don't be like Dennis Rodman. That's too much that's over the top, whereas Michael Jordan was the guy that you wanted to be like. You were going to strive to be like Michael Jordan. And now that I'm a little bit older, it's kind of the opposite, right? Like Michael Jordan, yeah, he was the greatest of all time, and his, his will to win made him special. But, you know, if, if I acted like Michael Jordan acted towards my coworkers and my boss and my family and friends, they'd all hate me. And Dennis Rodman, on the other hand, the guy that you weren't supposed to be like when you were a kid, now I look at Dennis Rodman and the, the freedom that he had to be himself, and I'm a little envious of it, right? Like I wish – that I could just let myself be who I wanted to be all the time the way that Rodney did. So I found that kind of interesting from episodes one and two to episodes three and four that I went from looking at Michael Jordan as this guy that I wanted to be when I was a kid and now I'm like I would never act like him. And then tonight, Dennis Rodman, whereas as a kid, I looked and I went, I would never act like Dennis Rodman. But as an adult, I'm like, man, I kind of wish I could be more like him. I wish I could just let myself be who I wanted to be the way that Dennis Rodman did and does. So, you know, it, look, the, the whole thing about this show that's so phenomenal isn't just the story of the, the 90s Bulls and the basketball team itself, but the stories of the characters and the personalities. And we're all kind of starting to see who it is that we attach ourselves to and who, who we recognize ourselves in as players. And I think that's the best part of this whole series. You know, you're absolutely right because I think it's sort of like with the University of Miami football team back in the 1980s where everybody viewed them as the bad boys of college football. They were like what was wrong with football. And they played that game against Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl. And Penn State was everything that was was right about football, college football. They graduated their players. They weren't in trouble with the NCAA Woo! 25 years later, what happens, Rob? <laughs> Penn State gets Penn State, the child, the child abuse shit, the child sex abuse shit at Penn State happens. Miami, they were the they were the quote unquote bad guys. Nothing like that happened at Miami. Like it, it's 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 weird how growth I think uh, how things are like you know you tell kids like you tell your kids like hey don't be like this person like you tell your kids you know if you're a parent you tell your kids 
don't be like this person, don't be like that person. And I said, Dennis Rodman, for all the craziness that he did, he never got in trouble with the police. He never, you never saw him in the news doing, you know, doing shit he wasn't supposed to do. He really was a model citizen. If you really look at it, what the fuck he what the fuck did he do? Like, think about it, Rob. Like, even even before, even if there was social media during that time frame, he never got in any kind of trouble. Like he didn't beat on women. He didn't beat on women. He didn't do any drugs or anything like that. He was a pretty much for the most part, a model citizen. But no, you know, look, what it comes, what it, right. What it comes down with Rodman, if we're being honest, like what it comes down with Rodman is that Rodman was one of the first dudes that was able to genuinely be himself and express himself the way that he wanted to uh, in an age where you were kind of expected to. And I don't, I don't mean that as a, you know, as a basketball player, I mean that for everybody, you were expected to kind of conform to whatever role that you were in, right? Like you were expected to have a certain image and and dress a certain way and act a certain way. And and to be honest with you, there's still that, um, there's kind of still that, uh, that attitude towards life now where when you find yourself in in a certain role, you're supposed to act a certain way and dress a certain way and cut your hair a certain way and, and speak a certain way. And Rodman was the first guy that said, to hell with that, man. I'm not doing any of that. Like, if I want to put leopard spots in my hair, I'll put leopard spots in my hair. And if I want to wear an oversized suit without a tie, I'm going to do that, whatever. So he was the first guy that really kind of, uh, really kind of said, to hell with the, with the trends, to hell with what's expected. I'm going to do what I want to do. And in doing that, he 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 became uh, kind of a guy that that really bucked the trend, that really kind of changed the norm up a little bit. So I, I respect Dennis Rodman as somebody who, look, man, a handful of years ago, like I went and I got a, uh, I was, I, I've been in media for 13 years now. I've been a broadcaster for 13 years, and uh, at one point in my career. I went, and it's not even a huge deal. Like, it's not even Ramones, but, like, I went and I got a tattoo on the inside of my left forearm, right? And when I got a tattoo on the inside of my left forearm, uh, I had a bunch of people that were like, well, that's not what you're supposed to do. Like, you're never, you're, you know, you're not going to look good on TV. It's going to be a hindrance to your career and this, that, and the other. And the longer I went, the more I went, you know what, I don't care, man. Like, this is for me. This is what I want. And if I'm going to work for somebody who's going to judge me and my character and my ability and my talent as a broadcaster because I have a tattoo on the inside of my forearm, that's not somebody I want to work with. And that's kind of a – that's a mild take on the Dennis Rahman attitude that I'd like to chalk up to learning from the worm, man, learning from Dennis Rahman, learning from 91. I mean, nobody what, – what, what other basketball player – it's really stupid, but what other basketball player wore a nine on their jersey, right? Like that wasn't a thing. So – um I mean, nobody yeah, was wearing ninety one, and I can tell you, no, like nobody was wearing ninety one. Like nobody was wearing ninety one. Like people wore, exactly. you know. I remember as a kid, you saw people wearing, you know, you you don't see. I mean, George Mikan wore ninety nine, but shit, he was playing. He was playing. You want to talk about someone playing against plumbers? He played against motherfucking plumbers, preachers, Klansmen, um, cops. He played against them motherfuckers, like. That motherfucker played against cab drivers, George Mikan. Exactly. 
he wore exactly. number 99, that's, so I mean, none of us right. were alive around it. Yeah, that shit's definitely exactly. not the same and that's, at all. That's, so, so it's exactly right. Like, Rodman, Rodman took this attitude of, look, man, you guys are paying me to come out here to get rebounds and to throw assists. And I'm going to go out there, I'm going to lead the leading in rebounds, I'm going to lead the league in assists, I'm going to be that guy, and you're going to pay me in. And it doesn't matter what I wear, it doesn't matter what my hair looks like, it doesn't matter what I say or do or act, you're paying me to do a job, I'm going to do a job. And I'm kind of at the point, honestly, like it, at 30, it, took me, I mean, it took me 34 years to get to this point in my life, but at 35 years old, uh, I just got to the point where I'm kind of like, look, man, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I'll dress how I want to dress. I'll act how I want to. I'll get the tattoos I want to get. And if I'm not good enough for what you're trying to accomplish, uh, then then that's on you. That's your loss, right? And, I mean, it's a tough spot to be in. But because of what Rodman did, I've got the, I've got the, the attitude that that's acceptable and that's okay. So, look, man, I, I don't think those 90 bulls that this whole thing is about – I don't think those 90 Bulls would have been the 90s Bulls without Dennis Rodman being Dennis Rodman. And I think we really got an inside glimpse tonight on uh, how he made that whole Bulls team tick and and how he made Michael Jordan want to be better. So as much as I took away from episodes one and two, how much, you know, I loved Michael Jordan as a player, as a kid, but as an adult, like, I don't like Michael Jordan, man. He's He's a jerk. He was a jackass. He was mean. He was over the top. Uh, Dennis Rodman the other way. When I was a kid, I was told Dennis Rodman's a bad guy and he's he's too weird and he's too strange and he's too out there. And at 35 and watching that game, now I look at Dennis Rodman and I'm like, man, that guy was just misunderstood, man. He was a good dude. He he, You're right, he never really got in too much trouble. And the only trouble he ever got into uh, was when he was going to harm himself, nobody else. So... I look at Dennis Rodman and the person that he was portrayed as tonight, and, and I think Rodman walked away from this thing, hopefully, uh, with, with this nation as a whole watching this event in record numbers. I'm hoping that this nation's going to walk away seeing Dennis Rodman uh, in a more positive light because Lord knows the dude, the, the dude deserves it. I, I, I definitely agree with that. And uh, now we're going to get to the closing of it. Um, to the close of this uh pot to the close of this episode of the the last uh dance after party next week is going to be kind of a gut wrencher kobe bryant is going to be interviewed and i know the tears are going to be flowing like the tears are going to be flowing for a lot of people um what things do you think do you see that you expect the the, the takeaway from the next next week's uh installment you know, I don't know, man. I, I really don't. And that's that's the kind of interesting thing. I mean, I knew I knew that tonight's episodes were going to focus on Rodman and uh, the first time that the Bulls were able to get by the Bad Boys, and I didn't really know what I was looking forward to. I mean, look, we all know that Kobe loved Mike and and who Mike was as a competitor, and that when they were on the floor together, they brought out the best in each other. Um, I'm I'm as intrigued. They announced earlier in the week that. Uh, that you know they they had filmed Kobe's last season and we're going to get a very similar uh, documentary about Kobe and his last year with the Lakers. Uh, but look, I mean, I, I I I don't know, and I think that's what's so great about this this documentary series. I mean, this is this is regardless of whether it came out during this quarantine or not. This is such a well put together documentary and such a well executed 
uh, look at what that Bills uh, that Bulls team was that I genuinely don't know what to expect. I mean, I, I think we'll get a healthy dose of Michael talking about how much Kobe was was a guy who was built in his mold and how much Kobe, you know, he felt like Kobe was the next Michael Jordan. But at the end of the day, man, I mean, I, I don't know. And I think that's what's so great about Michael and Kobe is even though both of them were out of their playing career, Michael now and Kobe when he passed, that, you know, we didn't really, despite the fact that these guys were way well-known national figures because of who they were as athletes, uh, we we don't know a lot about them off the court. We don't know a lot about them on their personal lives and their feelings towards a lot of things. So I'm I'm genuinely, you know, look, Sunday nights at this point are appointment television to me. There's there's no way that yes, I'm going to be doing it's anything a, a else next Sunday television. but watching watching this. Exactly. I, I, there's nothing else I'm going to do. You, you know, for the, for you the know, next I six did Sundays, but watch TV. You know, you know, I was a. Uh, you know, I was um, riding my bike. I rode my bike um, up uh, from uptown to the lake. I was like, I was like, I need to get back. Make sure I get back to um, to um, to my house so I can watch. So I can watch. Um, series so I can watch the last $50 on a YouTube TV subscription so I could watch this like I don't spend $50 on no subscription I spent $50 <laughs> on that no so it's worth and it's worth it man but, it's worth it right like this yes, is, this is I've watched so, listen, during this quarantine I have watched probably 100 documentaries legit right I've watched documentaries on stuff that I don't even care about because it's just something to watch. But last Sunday when this thing dropped, you know, I sat down, and I'll be real with you, I sat down fully expecting to watch this as a, like, with nostalgia, right? Like, I was a kid in the 90s. I was, I was six years old when Michael won his first championship, and I was, what, I was, I was 10 or, no, what, 12 years old when Michael won his, the second of the three-peats. So I expected to sit down and watch this with nostalgia. I expected to watch that, to sit down and mm-hmm. bring out my inner 10-year-old to just watch Michael's Bulls play. And as a 35-year-old man, I am captivated because now I have learned, not from this documentary, but with the new mindset of a, of a, of a grown man, to, to understand and accept that these athletes are not just robots that play sports to entertain me. They are human beings, and when you get that many athletes together in a building, there's going to be chemistry, and there's going to be relationships, and there's going to be drama, and there's going to be uh, a conflict. And so to be able to watch it play out amongst the team that as a kid I looked at as a bunch of heroes and now as an adult to look at and go, they weren't great people. Like they were just regular people put together in a very interesting time and place it's 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 definitely a perspective shift, and so to watch it play out in the way that this documentary has played out has been really really interesting. And I'll tell you, like especially when you're adding Kobe Bryant to the mix next week, man, I'm 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 very excited to see how Kobe plays into all this as somebody who is looking at this not as a bunch of athletes that I loved, 
but as a bunch of human beings with real emotions off of the court. That's what makes this so great. Right. So that being said, folks, before we uh, end the podcast, let's talk to you about Craft Beer Cellar, 2801 Magazine Street. They are the title sponsor of The Last Dance After Hours. And, of course, they are are offering curbside and home delivery to you. And they are located at 2801 Magazine near the corner of Magazine Washington Avenue in the Garden District. And their phone number is 504-962-7870. And in addition to that, their uh, address, their website address, www.craftbeernola.com. So that being said, for Rob Brown, this is Ryan Hancock saying thank you for your time this time. And until next Sunday, we'll see you down the road. Appreciate it, Rob. You know, buddy. Enjoyed it, man. Let me know next time you need me. I'm around, pal.